Good evening. Welcome to Fort Lauderdale's Primary Purpose Big, Big Book Study Group's Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speaker Step Series. I've asked our friend Tyler to come up for our joke now. Good evening. I hope everyone weathered the storm okay. Uh, my name is Tyler. I'm an alcoholic. I have the pleasure of reading the um, Grapevine Approved Literature. It's a book called A Rabbit Walks Into a Bar. Um, these jokes are very uh, dry, so you have to do a butunch at the end of it. So without further ado, here it goes. A, dollar, a $1 bill met a $20 bill and said, Hey, where have you been lately? The 20, the 20 answered, I was on a cruise for a while and hung out in the casinos. Then I came back to the States and flew out to L.A., went to a couple baseball games, out to dinner, took in some of the new movies, that sort of thing. How about you? The $1 bill said, oh, you know, the same old thing. Meetings, meetings, meetings. <laughs> Thank you, Tyler. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Chris. Thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to, get, we're going to start our two-minute meditation, so please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that make noise that will distract others. Take this time to connect to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away and ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. If everyone's ready, we're going to begin the meditation. Thank you. 
I'm going to ask everyone to join me in the fog light prayer. God, let your love shine through me like a fog light, so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. Amen. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked David to come up and read Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have a spiritual experience, so it's important to know what it is. Spiritual experience. The terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which upon careful reading shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God-consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety. Because they develop slowly over a period of time, quite often friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but, there are, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, 
and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is a contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer. Thank you, David. Please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to airplane mode, meeting mode, or simply just turn them off. Um, we're fortunate enough to have Joe back for our sixth session. Um, so without further ado, Joe Bear. Good evening, everybody. My name is Joe Bear, and I'm an alcoholic, and I am grateful to be here tonight. So... I'm fed up. I mean, we ate earlier. <laughs> My stomach is good, fellowshiped up, prayed up, and uh, hopefully um, you're ready for this storm. That storm wasn't much last night, was it? A little wind, a little rain. The only problem with that was I couldn't walk my dogs, which was a problem. But... Uh, Moving on, we, we, you know, we've been talking, like, this is my night here in a series of 12, and <clears throat> typically, one would think going into a series uh, that each step would be per, per night. In other words, the first meeting would be the first step, and so on and so forth. And that's not really how it works, because as we've been covering... Um, we, we looked at the problem in four bodies of information. We looked at the problem in the doctor's opinion. We looked at the problem in uh, Bill's story, chapter one. We looked at the problem in coupled with a solution, mention of a solution, and there is a solution, um, which is really more about the need for power. Uh, and then we looked at more about alcoholism, which is a, another chapter entirely devoted to the, to, to the inability to staying stopped and why. And knowing that <clears throat> we've tried every other human power on earth, especially that person looking back at us in the mirror, to keep us stopped, we couldn't do it. And no other human power on earth was able to do it for us. They certainly were able to get a stop a lot of times, but they couldn't keep us stopped because of this conversation we would have with ourselves, this thing that's unique to an alcoholic and a drug addict. So seeing the need for power, we ventured into We Agnostics, which is chapter four. And uh, through this whole chapter, they're, they're, uh, they're, they're, they're delving into our belief system. They're really looking at um, why in the face of thinking that we have a, perfectly adequate relationship with God that we, you know, don't really need to approach the subject of God. Um, why we have to look at that? Why we have to look at our old attitudes, ideas, and beliefs? Because Dr. Carl Jung, when he was seeing and treating Roland Hazard over in Switzerland, the certain American businessman, um, you know, Roland got drunk on the way home. He treated with him for a year. But he still got drunk as soon as he was out of his sight before he ever got back to the States. And Roland went back to the doctor. He said, doctor, is there, tell me why, why this happened. What, what happened? Why, why after a year of, of treating with you, one of the, the second most brilliant mind on the face of earth, 
at the time who treated under Freud. Why did this happen? Why did I have to, why did I drink again? Because I had such a sudden, I had such a profound knowledge. He says this, this quote. I had such a profound knowledge of the inner workings of my mind after treating with you that relapse was unthinkable. Nevertheless, he was drunk on the way back to where he was going to fly back to the state. So he begged the doctor, is there anything that you can tell me? He goes, and the doctor told him, he says, well, you know, sorry to tell you this, Roland, but, <laughs> you know, a, a case such as yours is utterly hopeless. Like that you probably have to hire a, a bodyguard or get locked up, you know, just to live along longer. Imagine that from the most brilliant mind on the planet, one of them, right? And spent a lot of money, which he didn't get a refund, right? So the doctor said, well, I'll tell you. He says, here and there, once in a while, alcoholics like you have had what are called vital spiritual experiences. Now, we know Bill had one of these because he had it in, his, in the treatment of his third detox in Towns Hospital. And uh, the description of his uh, uh, experience was sudden and profound. This, uh, this, this overwhelming mind consciousness where old attitudes, ideas, and beliefs that were once the dominant forces of the, lives of, of the life of Bill Wilson was suddenly cast aside and a whole new perspective came into view. In a night. And we know that followed when Ebby worked with him and went through the tenets of the Oxford group. It's not like he wasn't doing things to facilitate that happening. It just didn't happen because he was grasping. Right? God made himself known to Bill Wilson that night. And Bill Wilson was never the same. <laughs> Matter of fact, we're the recipients of Bill Wilson to this very day, 80 plus years later, from that night. Says he acquired certain ideas that he began to put in use at once. Ideas that were no part of Bill Wilson's life ever before in his entire life. But he acquired them from Ebby when he came in to see him at Downs Hospital. So those new ideas are the very ideas that we get to experience too. Same ones. Same ones. Nothing's been changed here. So Dr. Young tells Roland, he says, here and there once in a while, alcoholics have had what are called vital spiritual experiences. Now these are, in William James's book, they're, they're described as sudden and profound, like these, these over, like a near-death experience. You know, it's like it's overwhelming. Your whole consciousness shifts. Everything shifts. Where life as you knew it was gone, and the life that you come to know is completely different. And... Uh, Bill, so Bill say, or uh, Roland saying, well, where do I find this? How do I get one of these? Well, the doctor didn't know how to tell him to go get one. He didn't know where to tell him to go get one. He had no idea. But he says he had witnessed these things in men during his tenure in psychiatric care. So he, 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 he visually and, and, and witnessed these things and experienced these things in the lives of other people but he couldn't tell Roland how to go get one. And Dr. Silkworth in Towns Hospital in New York City gave us the problem to alcoholism, gave us the fatal nature of alcoholism. 
right? He explains it in the doctor's opinion. We read it all the time. So we get the problem of the alcoholic from a non-alcoholic doctor in New York City. We get the solution to alcoholism from a non-alcoholic psychiatrist in Switzerland. And it's given to, to, given to Roland, and the first thing Roland does, he thinks, well, I used to be a good church attending member. You know, he remembers he had to go to church as a kid and, you know, was, 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 was taken to church and this and that and the other. It's not like he had never been exposed to religion. But the doctor told him, he says, in your case, it doesn't spell the necessary vital spiritual experience. So what he had coming in, just like all of us, we get here and we're wondering why we can't stay stopped. And if this whole thing is about, you know, developing a relationship with a power greater than ourselves, that means we've got to try a different formula. Why not? Why wouldn't you be willing to believe that something like this is, a, is possible? It's happening to a, millions of us. The evidence is around us. It's all around us. But we kind of have to go on that blind faith and say, yeah, you know what? Life isn't working out too good for me. I think I'm willing to believe. Like, what have I got to lose? <laughs> How was what I've been doing working out? And you may be able to quote scripture and verse back and forth with the best of them and not be able to stay stopped. Imagine that. Why do you see priests and alcoholics and all That's why. It's not about the godly relationship he has with us. It's about our relationship to him. So it has to be addressed. And we do that when we agnostics. And all the while, they're teeing up what's going to be necessary. You know, I'll just cover a couple of things I talked about last week. So the first question is, am I willing to, at least am I willing to believe that there's a power greater than myself that can restore me to sanity? And we may pretty much make that, that declaration, yes, based on the evidence of the people that are telling us this, right? We trust them. No reason not to trust them. And, um, and we're dying. You know, that's the other thing. Everything's hanging in the balance. I mean, we're dying. <laughs> so listen. Well, I was never really a very trusting person. Well, what do you got to lose right now? Right? Door number one, reconsider. Door number two, die. That's what they say. Right? So it says, uh, it says this. Actually, we're fooling ourselves. For deep down in every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God. If God is a creator... I know in one of those books it says, let's create man in our image. There's got to be a piece of him in there somewhere. It says this, it says, it may be obscured, however. We're going to find a deep, great reality deep down inside. But initially, it may be obscured by calamity, all the things happening in the world. All the things I use as evidence to support me not going that way, Right? It may be uh, covered up by pomp, worship of other things, all my lowercase gods that I cherish so deeply that will not coexist with God. I try to make them do it, but they won't do it. It won't do it. God won't coexist with anything. He's God. Or by worship of other things, money, applause, recognition, favoritism, popularity. I mean, you name it, right? They're all fleeting and soon past. 
So what it says, it says, for, it says, but it says, but in some form or other, it is there. The fundamental idea of God is there within us. For faith and a power greater than ourselves and miraculous demonstrations of that power in human lives are facts as old as man, is, man himself. We finally saw that faith in some kind of God was part of our makeup. Just as much as the feeling we have for a friend. The feelings we have for each other are not by reason. If you're after something that somebody has, maybe you're using reason to get it. This ability to draw on, you know, logic. But not for a friend. I mean, I think about my animal. I think about my dog. That's not logical for me to love my dogs the way I love my dogs. It's not logical. So it comes from another place. Sometimes we had to search fearlessly, so they're teeing up this step four, this decision that we're going to be making. We had, sometimes we had to search fearlessly. We do that in step four, made a searching a fearless moral inventory of ourselves. It says, but he was there. He was as much a fact as we were. We found the great reality deep down within us. So there's a lot of investigation that has to take place. There's a lot of deconstruction that has to take place. We've got to identify where we're broken. What do we worship? You know, having stuff, there's no problem with that. You can have cars, you can have a nice house, you can have a good bank account. You can have a lot of stuff. There's nothing wrong with a lot of stuff. God doesn't frown on that, I don't believe. But there is an issue with worshiping it. Right? Where we covet it. Where we're envious of it. Right? Because that makes us prime for the condition of not being okay with what it is. You know, not being okay with what I had. You know, what a freedom that is. What a what a bondage it is to not be okay with what I, what, I, what I have. I'm always chasing and looking for something more. Everybody in here knows that chase. Alcoholic or not, we know what it's like to chase stuff. Chase fame. Chase success. Chase money. Validation. Recognition. Applause. Please like me. Please think of me highly. Please think of that I'm somebody. I got to be noticed. There's a core problem with that. We're suffering from something much deeper. Because no matter how much we get, we want more. Right? They say the purest form of sanity is being okay with what is. They talk about this fourth dimension of existence. I have many sponsors. My current one is sitting in this room. And I cherish all of them. But one of them said, you know what? You know what that fourth dimension is? Now. Time, now. Where your feet are. Being okay with that. I mean, I was never okay with anything. I was never okay with what I didn't have. I was always chasing it. And I was, you know, it's like the conversation was the same with everybody. And what are you doing? Well, I got to go. You know, and we're, we're talking about what we need, what we need to have, like to feel ease and comfort, but it never comes. Maybe for a minute. I got to have her. Man, that didn't turn out well for me. So 
we found the great reality deep down within us. In the last analysis, it is only there. Says that. It is only there that he may be found. It was so with us. So we got to ask ourselves, what do I want? What do, what do I really want for my life? Do I want to continue the chase and the heartache and the worry and the gripping fear and f- unbelievable anxiety, the fear of the unknown to live that way? Or do I want to be okay with what I have? Do I want to be okay with what is? I don't know. That's a question we all have to ask ourselves. But I can tell you what, we've never sought. We always were looking at it. I mean, a lot of us, were like, like me, I've talked to a lot of people that were, we were always chasing it here, horizontally, on earth. God, if I just had that, you know, that bus, that bus billboard on that bus says, if you hit those jeans, you'll be hot. <laughs> if you had that car, man, the chicks would swarm. Society dictates. It's a sales game. If you just had that, if you just had this, you'd be okay. You'd be Mr. Popular. You'd be successful. What a sham, Right? I used to drive around in the car thinking, man, like, I'm my car. John always told me, one of my former sponsors, he's passed now, he says, says, Joe, (laughs) you're not your car. You're not your jewelry. You're not your clothes. Not your tattoos. You're none of that. What defines me today? Hmm. What consumes a lot of my emotional thought today? Perhaps it's things that I haven't even gotten and I'm just swimming in fantasy land thinking I'm going to get it one of these days. So they're saying, if we can only clear the ground a bit, if our testimony helps sweep away prejudice, prejudging, enables you to think honestly, right? encourages you to search diligently, about this statement, then if you wish, you can join us on this broad highway. It says, with this attitude, you cannot fail. You see, the alcohol, the alcohol and the drug addict, we have the luxury of death in the, in the, in, in, right over our shoulder. We have the, the luxury of having to either make a decision to do this or die. Most people don't have that luxury. You understand what I'm saying? It's like it doesn't take a whole lot of effort to do something that's going to prolong my life. And I know I don't want the life that I had just existing, right? So it tees it all up right there, but first we've got to make that decision. And um, I'm going to my other book for that really take this out because it's in a thousand pieces. So in how it works, we hear it all the time that rarely have they seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. So they're talking about a formula for success. If you'd have told us it was all about an inner search before we got here, we probably wouldn't be, be real happy with that. We probably wouldn't listen every single meeting that they recite how it works. Not going there, right? 
But this is not about fixing them. It's not about fixing, you know, first we find out that it's not about them anyway. Never been about them. What you think, what you say, what you, you know, you're, you know what, what your, what your uh, uh, assessment is of me or whatever. It's never about that. It's always been about me and him, right? So they're putting forth a formula in very followable terms. They're going to say, first we're going to decide, and if you're going to decide this, that the spiritual approach is going to be something that you can be open to and decide in, a, in, a, in an affirmative way that you're going to move forward, right? Regardless of the way you feel about it. I mean, this is for life, right? Then it says this. We come to these three pertinent ideas. We hear them all the time. Our description of the alcoholic, we get that in chapters one. Uh, I'm sorry, in, in the Dr. Spending Bill story, there's a solution and more about alcoholism. In the chapter to the agnostic, chapter four, which we just got done covering, and our personal adventures before and after make clear three pertinent ideas. Right? It says, A, that we're alcoholic and could not manage our own lives, a.k.a. thinking, right? Because our thinking is a snapshot, or our lives are a snapshot of our thinking. And know exactly what that means. I don't have to hear a speaker say that 15,000 times. All I got to do is read this information and see if it resonates for me, if it fits my experience. That no human power could have relieved my alcoholism. Well, that's obvious. They sure, they sure tried. That God couldn't, and see that God couldn't would if he were sought. But here's where we go off, here's where we're off the hook. We don't have to figure that out, how to seek. They've got it all written down here. They've got it all instruction by instruction by instruction. That if we do, if we follow these directions, we follow these instructions, in our method of seeking, we will have a spiritual experience as a result. They guarantee it. But a lot of us that have been floundering out there for years, decades, what's the one thing we say when we finally put to the, to the right question? Well, have you done those steps? No, I haven't done them yet. Well, yeah, I did the steps, I, but I stopped at step four. Yeah, no, what's step you on? No, I'm stopped on step three. How long have you been on step three? Six months. What? No wonder you're not getting it. Right? We seem to want to put our own twist on this stuff. But this is, this is for the dying. This is for these for us last gaspers. Right? It says, being convinced of those three things were at step three, which is that we decided to turn our will, which is our thoughts, and our lives, which is our actions, kind of synonymous. Our lives are a snapshot. I mean, they're a visual movie of our whole will and thought process. Our thinking determines how we feel or the emotions we have, followed by an action, followed by a result. So our thinking must change if anything's going to change. It's a, and, then, and then they tell us, okay, we're getting ready to make a decision, turn our will and our lives over to the care of God, but we're going to tell you first what will derail you. We're going to tell you that everything hinges on, your, on the correct decision, but we're also going to tell you that even though you make that decision to move forward, there's one thing that will derail you and put you right back where you were. 
And I'm going to tell you what it is. The first requirement is that we be... Now, my sponsor had me write the word Joe in anywhere where, it, you know, I needed to personalize it. So I'm going to do it that way. Says the first requirement is that Joe be convinced that any life run on self-will, right, can hardly be a success. I had evidence to support that. On that basis, Joe is almost always in collision with something or somebody, even though his motives are good. Most people try to live by self-propulsion. Joe's like an actor who wants to run the whole show. Is forever trying to arrange the lights, the ballet, the scenery, and the rest of the players in his own way. If only Joe's arrangements would stay put. If only people would do as Joe wished, the show would be great. Everybody, including Joe, would be pleased. Life would be wonderful. (laughs) Perfect. In trying to make these arrangements, Joe may be sometimes quite virtuous. He may be kind. He may be considerate. He may be patient. He could be generous, even modest and self-sacrificing. On the other hand, Joe might be mean, egotistical, selfish, and dishonest. But as with most human beings, or as, 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 as far as, uh, but I like to put my own little verbiage in there. It says, but as with most humans, he, Joe, has most likely mastered all these traits. They were tactical. They were, they, were, they, were, they were assets. They were things that I could do to make my will come true with you. And I was a master of disguise. I was an imposter. I was a, I was, I was, I was, I, I was a control freak. I had to be right. And I always had to look good doing it. Because whatever I'm trying to sell you, you had something that I had. I had motive for everything when it came to me and you. Right? Says, well, what usually happens? The show doesn't come off very well. Got evidence for that. Joe begins to think that life doesn't treat him right. Starts to suck his thumb and cry like a baby. That, that was me. Russell Spatz calls it thumb-sucking crybabies. With a big V etched in my forehead stood for victim. Woe is me. Life doesn't treat him right. He decides to exert himself more. Joe becomes on the next occasion still more demanding or gracious. However the case may warrant Whatever needs to be, whatever needs to be pursued the way I think you need to see it pursued, right? Still the play doesn't suit him. Admitting Joe may be somewhat at fault, he is sure that other people are more to blame. Joe becomes angry, indignant, self-pitying. What is his basic trouble? Here it is. Is he not really a self-seeker even when trying to be kind? Is he not a victim of the delusion that he can wrest satisfaction and happiness out of this world if he only manages you better? Is it not evident to the rest of the players that these are the things he really wants? They see his game. They see right through it. They're tired of being beaten. And do not his actions make each of them wish to retaliate, snatching all they can get out of the show? Is he not, even in his best moments, a producer of confusion, rather than harmony. What's that one thing that'll derail me from any good that might happen in my life? And I'm looking at him square in the mirror. It's me. I'm not my own worst enemy. I'm my only enemy. 
Joe is self-centered, egocentric. Selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. The root, the core of who I am. That we think is the root of our troubles, driven by a hundred forms of fear. A hundred forms of fear. A hundred forms of fear. Self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity. I step on the toes of my fellows, and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt, hurt me seemingly without provocation. But I invariably find that at some time in the past I've made decisions based on me that later placed me in a position to be hurt. So our troubles, I th- so, there, so my troubles, we think, are basically of my own making. They arise out of ourselves, and the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run riot. I'm trying to put my will and have it dictate everything in my life and your life. It says, though I usually don't think so. It says, above everything, I must be rid of this selfishness. I must be rid of this selfishness. I must or it kills me. And tears down the lives of everybody I know. Only God makes that possible, it says. Nobody's been able to rid me of my selfishness, my self-centeredness, my inconsideration, my dishonesty. Nobody. But ultimately, I drive myself to the point of either checking out or facing it. I have to really find out who, who exactly is looking back at me in the mirror. It says... God makes that possible. And there often seems no way of entirely getting rid of self without his aid. Many of us had moral and philosophical convictions galore, but we could not live up to them even though we would have liked to. Neither could we reduce our self-centeredness much by wishing or trying on our own power. We had to have God's help. This is how I have it. First of all, we had to quit playing God. So they're telling me exactly what's going to derail this decision that could spell the difference for my entire life, my entire destiny, versus the one I just left. And now they're saying that we had to quit playing God. That's what I was doing. Didn't work. Neither. It says next hereafter in this drama of life, God was going to be our director. He is the principal, we are his agents. He is the father, we are his children. Most good ideas are simple. And this concept was the keystone of the new and triumphant arch which we passed to freedom. Last week we spoke about this arch that we're building through which we'll walk free men and women. The first stone that we put in place on a foundation of absolute truth, knowing that I have the allergy and the obsession, I can't stop when I start and I can't stay stopped, and that I need power. I'm powerless and I need power. That's my foundation. Then I put this cornerstone in place. My willingness to believe or declaration that I do believe. Where they emphatically assure me I'm on my way. Now I'm putting the keystone in of that arch way. Which is the middle stone that simply falls into it. So it falls into place. When they, when they uh, uh, drop a keystone into an arch... 
It sits on the two outer stones. And the weight of it keep it in place. And they say that God's going to be my keystone now. Right? This is, this is what we're going to make a decision to do. Right? It says, most good ideas are simple. This concept was the keystone of the new and triumphant arch through which we pass to freedom. So I'm just, I'm just following instructions. I'm going, okay, I'm going to put God as my, the, the, the most important thing here. Because before in the chapter, we acknowledge says God is either going to be everything or he's going to be nothing. And I explained last week that if you take that position, you're also doing it with the steps. God is going to be everything or he's going to be nothing. The steps are going to be everything or they're going to be nothing. They're synonymous because they both result in a relationship with God. Got it? Right? I got to fire myself from, doing, from, from running my life. Unless there's somebody out there that just thinks they're doing such a fabulous job with it. If you really want to know how you're doing, running your life, ask your family. Ask your children. Ask people that are going to tell you the truth. How was I doing? How was that? You know, not very well. It says, when we sincerely took such a position, all all sorts of remarkable things followed. Not happened right there, but followed, right? He provided what we needed if we kept close to him and performed his work well. There's no way to do the remaining steps, these certain simple steps that they talk about here, without him. It's married. It's intertwined. It's baked in the, it's baked in the formula. It says, established on such a footing, we became less and less interested in ourselves, our little plans and designs. For those of you sitting in the audience right now, think about how consumed we are with our little plans and designs. They run us. Every day, it's consumed with that. What's going to happen here? What, what about that that I didn't get? What about yesterday? What about, what about tomorrow? What about later? What, I mean, we're, we're really, I mean, if we, if we take a, a, an inventory on where our mind is parked on a daily basis, there are those of us that are a lot less burdened than we used to be. But there's, there's many of us entering into this thing that are just consumed with the past. Think about it, right? So it says, more and more we became interested in seeing what we can contribute to life. As we felt new power flow in, as we enjoyed peace of mind, we, dis- we discovered we could face life successfully. As we became conscious of his presence, we begin to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, or the hereafter. Where does dark reflection happen? It happens in the past. And that can be a minute ago. It's not an ancient time ago. It can be a minute ago or yesterday. That's part of the past too. Right? And then, of course, the third step prayer, which we covered a little bit last week. Many of us said to our maker as we understood him or misunderstood him, <laughs> God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and do with me as thou will. Relieve me of the bondage of self. The bondage of selfishness, self-centeredness, self-consumption, self, you know, self, 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 self. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. I like to say, just so I can do thy will, relieve me of me. Take away my difficulties. 
We're not talking about bad check accounts or low check accounts or the lack of a car or lack of a job or any of that other stuff. They're talking about greed, lust, pride, ego, selfishness and consideration, lying, cheating, embellishment, you know, acting, pretending. Take away, take away those difficulties, Lord. Right? That victory over those difficulties can bear witness to those I would help of thy power. Because if I'm still full-fledged in those difficulties, nobody's going to be better off for knowing me. They're just going to get the same old selfish, self-centered taker that I always was. That victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. You see, at this stage, I'm not looking for the pat on the back anymore. Because I know if I recover, people look at me and go, my God, what a miracle. This wasn't supposed to happen. We never saw this happening for you, Joe Bear. We saw torment, despair, death, and destruction. So we know whatever you're doing, it's supernatural. We don't really believe in God, but boy, I'll tell you what, we're starting to. That's what happens. They know they can only attribute it to a miraculous demonstration. We thought well before, listen to this, this is key because here we go, we're getting ready to decide. We thought well before taking this step, making sure we were ready that we could at last abandon ourselves utterly to him. So where are we going with this? You know where we're going with it. It's the vertical approach to a relationship with a power greater than ourselves I call God. And then I know he adores me. And I know that I give him my heart. He gives me what I need. May not always be what I want, but he gives me what I need. Okay. So it's, this was only a beginning. So after all this information in the last five weeks, all this stuff that we've been talking about, we come to the place where we're going to ba- at last abandon ourselves utterly to him to live and not die. Right? Or worse yet, exist in that mire. There's a lot of people out there that are suffering unbearably in the muckety-muck of addiction. Hopeless. Broken in a million pieces. Agonizing. And their families are so despaired of it. And so broken from it. Why wouldn't we want to do this? Those of you that are new in this room or within your first year and you're just embarking on this thing, get busy. Because what he said in spiritual experience, it says what often takes place, excuse me, often takes place in a few months. That's the timeline. (laughs) Could could never have been accomplished by years of self-discipline could have hardly been accomplished by years of self-discipline. And we, a lot of us know that to be true because we tried forever, right? So it says, this is only a beginning, though if honestly and humbly made, taking my ego and my pride out of the way, an effect sometimes a very great one was felt at once. And here's the timeline for step four. Next. Next, that's what it says here. 
next. We launched out on a course of vigorous action, the first step of which is a personal house cleaning, which many of us have never attempted. We done? Oh, is, that, is it possible to put it up on the thing? Mike, is that possible to put up on the thing? Thing, a.k.a. screen? Um, so it says this. It says, though our decision, step three decision, deciding to turn our will, which is our thoughts and our lives, over to the care of God. And boy, I tell you what, if you really reflect back to the time when you started this, you know, started this whole deal of trying to struggle through it and get sober and stay stopped and just all the madness that goes along with that, because that's when my trouble started, right? I was in oblivion before and didn't really know much. But brain fart. Anyway, so it says, though our decision was a vital and crucial step, it could have little permanent effect unless at once followed by a strenuous effort to face and be rid of the things in ourselves, in ourselves that had been blocking us. Blocking us from what? The sunlight of the sunlight of the spirit. The ability for God to ride our ship. We were in the way. It says, our liquor was but a symptom, so we had to get down to causes and conditions. So now we're going to start that investigation. We're taking that position. We're deciding to move forward. And the very first thing our sponsors tell us to do is get a pencil without an eraser. That's what mine told me to do. It gave me a four-step inventory guide, and that's that's when I went to work. It says, therefore, we started upon a personal inventory. This was step four. A business which takes no inventory usually goes broke. Anybody in retail knows that, right? It says taking a, so they, they make, a, they make a, a similarity between a commercial inventory and a personal inventory. It says taking a commercial inventory or a business inventory is a fact-finding, also known as searching, and fact-facing, also known as fearless. So when we go through our inventory, we see damaged stuff, we get rid of it. We send it back to the manufacturer, and we get, a new, we get new stuff for our floor plan. If there's a TV up on the wall and it isn't working, we get rid of it. We, don't, we're not, we're not cra- we know the values, right? We know we're not going to keep stuff that won't sell. That's ridiculous. So fact-finding is simply going through the inventory, same thing with ourselves, and finding out what's not working. And when we find the facts about that stuff... We face the facts. We don't deny it anymore. We don't ignore it anymore. It says that, so it's that, that's this process. It says it is an effort to discover the truth, another word for moral, about the stock and trade. One object is to disclose damaged or unsellable goods and get rid of them promptly without regret. If the owner of a business is to be successful, he can't fool himself about values. We did exactly the same thing with our life. First, we search out the flaws in our makeup, which caused our failure. Being convinced that self manifested in various ways was what had defeated us, we consider its common manifestations. It says this, resentments are the number one offender. Resentment comes from a, a Latin word, and if you dissect it, re means again. Sentiment means to feel. So resentment would mean to feel again and again and again. Right? To feel again. 
It says, it destroys more alcoholics than anything else. From its stem, all forms of spiritual disease. For we have not only been mentally and physically ill, we have been spiritually sick. In here it says that every, nearly every serious emotional problem can be seen as a case of misdirected instinct. We're going to get into that. But all our emotional stuff comes from, a lot of it stems from the spiritual malady that they talk about. It says when the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. I don't know about you guys, but I had the course, I had the, I had the cart before the horse. Right? I used to think, well, if I could just get enough money for a pack of cigarettes, <laughs> get a little food in my belly, gain a little weight, maybe if my eyes cleared up a little bit and get a little girlfriend... And maybe then I'll get that car. You know, maybe then I'll work on that spiritual stuff. And it never, ever worked. And it was the same method, the same approach, the same strategy. I had time and time and time and time again until I got introduced to this. That was like for almost two decades, lingering out there, always demanding what I needed and what I wanted before I would even begin to take an approach of what might be effective for Joe. So I discounted everything you were talking about. I'm surprised I lived through it. So it says, uh, in dealing with resentments, we set them on paper. Now listen, we're going to talk about, we're just going to mention it because if you really want to know how to work one of these and, and have it explained like somebody giving you Gerber baby food, Go to the Joe and Charlie Big Book Seminar on, on joeandcharlie.com. Is that right? Yeah. And it's like, oh, my God. Like, you got a guy in, suspen- in, 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 in overalls and suspenders from a little place in Arkansas. I think Joe's from Arkansas. Charlie was from Arkansas, I think. Or Joe, he was this other fellow that was like, they both seemed older than dirt. But when they spoke, they made that big book come alive. And they made it sing. And for a dummy like me, that was important. It was like a, I mean, I was just fascinated with, because I got what they were saying, right? So we hit these five different columns on, a, on an inventory sheet. Now, if you look in the big book, there's only three columns. I'm resentful at the cause and affects my whatever, whatever instinct that is. Whatever instinct I feel is threatened, right? So the first thing that they say to do, if you follow instructions and you have a good coach behind you, it says, in dealing with resentments, we set them on paper, period. We listed people, institutions, and principles with whom we were angry. Could have been the church. Could have been, could have been attorneys. Could have been halfway houses. Could have been halfway house owners. Could have been lawyers. Could have been public pretenders. I mean, public uh, defenders. It could have been anybody. Could have been the court system. Could have been the banking system. Could have been the, you know, and so on and so on. So whoever I had an issue with that I feel wronged me in some way, I just put them on the paper. And listen, when I'm, when I'm in the mind of a victim, I, that's easy. I talked about that last week. That's an easy list to compile, right? Then it says the cause. What did, I, what did they do to make me angry? Right? So I get to talk about them again. So this is, this is more of the victim conversation. What did they do to make me angry? Well, they, cheat, they, they, they cheated on me. They, they, you know, they stole from me. They, they hurt me. They bullied me or what, whatever it was, right? They abandoned me. They, 
Could have been anything. But in a very set in that second column, we say short and specific and to the point. This is more of a tickler sheet of factual information as best of my ability that later will be embellished upon in the fifth step, which is the confession, which is the where in the presence of God with another human being, my sponsor preferably, I, I do, uh, I, I reveal, I, I, I do the deep dive, right? So if you look at this in the big book, there's three columns and a lot of people think, well, that's all, that's easy. I just do three columns. No, because I'm going to tell you, it says in nine cases out of 10, this is column three. We found that it was our self-esteem, our pocketbooks, our ambitions or personal relationships, including sex that were hurtened or threatened. So we were sore. We were burned up. So on our grudge list, we set up each name, each name, our injuries, what they do to me. And then we talk about, and that's that center column with all those words up top, that, that middle section. It says, was it our self-esteem, our security, our pocketbook, our ambitions, our emotional security, or personal or sex relations that were interfered with? What did I think you did that hurt me or took from me? Right? And I and I check those boxes. Right? Then you don't have a column four in your in your big book page. Those columns are identified on the next page. Page sixty six, the bottom page. It says we turn back to our list. Listen to this. So we've got the first three columns identified. We turn back to our list for it held the key to our future. Well, if you missed the fourth and fifth column, you missed the keys to the future. It says we were prepared to look at it from an entirely different angle. So we were looking at it as a victim and a taker. And now we begin to see that the world and its people really dominated us. In that fourth column, in that fourth column, right, the second to last, it says, what did I do to set the ball rolling? Where was that relationship born? What was the what was the what was the the, the 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 beginning of it? How did that look? And what was I expecting <coughs> with that person or institution? What decisions did I make with them that later placed me in a position to be hurt? Right? Maybe I uh, was trying to be kind just to get the pat on the back. Maybe I wanted them to 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 to, to lean on me. Maybe I needed them. To, to lean on me and make me feel a certain level of responsibility or a certain level of uh, worthiness, right? It could have been, uh, what was I doing at church that, that never came to fruition? You know what I mean? I prayed and prayed and prayed, nothing ever happened, right? And I drew a resentment, never went back to church. What was it about my parents? You know, was it the alienation? Was it all the fights? Was I the cause? Was it, I mean, what did I do to set the ball rolling. And I list it there. Now, this is not the place of a victim to list that there. This is a place of someone that wants to become accountable and identify what's broken. And then it says on the next page, referring to our list again, putting out of our minds the wrongs others had done, we resolutely look for our own mistakes. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened, and lustful, and greedy, and slothful. I mean, the four core defects of a human being are inconsideration, dishonesty, selfishness, and self-centeredness. From them stem all kinds of the seven deadly sins, 
pride, ego, lust, greed, sloth, gluttony, right? But then you have a host of other ones. Control, right? Disrespect, trying to dominate somebody, wanting to be right all the time, yeah. So they're talking about column four here. But did not we ourselves set the ball rolling? Wasn't something that I wanted that I was gaming that person for that when they finally saw it, they said, get the hell out of my life. And I said, how dare you? All the things I've done for you. All the money I gave you. All the support I gave you. I started to bring up all this stuff and even make some up. Right? Right back on them. So... We talk about the defects of character, so we identify. Was I, was I inconsiderate? Was I selfish? Was I dishonest? And usually people just say, well, I was all above. You know what I mean? There's, there should be, a, should be a little section for that, all the above. Save a lot of time. So there we have our resentment list done. And then it says we did exactly the same thing with fears. I listed my fears. Why did I have them? You know, I never got that job. Well, maybe I was never consistent enough to get the job. Maybe I was too drunk all the time to have the job, to get the job. I was afraid I was going to lose my children. Well, what would make you think that, Joe? I'd disappear in jail for months. And I'm saying I don't have children, but I, this is what I've heard in my experience doing FISTA. I was spending all the money on crack. I was never around. I was fighting with the wife all the time in front of the child. It was a, why did I have a fear of losing my children? Time to be honest. And stop passing the buck. And we're get honest and, and come truthful about this stuff. They own me. I'll always live in fear and regret. So then we talk about <sighs> harms, right? And uh, we're out of time, but... Uh, I'll continue that next week, and then we'll get into six and seven. Thank you for a good night. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, Joe. Let's give our speaker one more round of applause. Um, We're going to have Joey up here for the secretary report. Jerry, I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Jerry. Recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. 
If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind. Alcohols, um, rather than the body, we are now seeing where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Thank you, Jerry. That was beautiful. 1940-style big book sponsorship from the forward to the second edition, Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sobered once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75-plus percent success rate. Awesome. So is there anyone in this room that um, would be in need of a sponsor at this time? That's okay. Um, there's anyone shy? That's all right. Now, is there any recovered alcoholics out there? All right, beautiful. So any, anyone that may be shy, they're on the fence, they don't want, you know, feel free to see one of the, the people with their hands raised. I'm sure they'll be happy to speak with you. <clears throat> All right, so, um, oh, announcements, duh. All right. Um, no intergroup one? That's okay. That's all right. Well, I could just talk about it because intergroup's a beautiful thing. It's where you can go buy AA-related literature and medallions, also responsible for creating the where and when, scheduling the AA hotline. They're downtown. Go stop by and say, hey. Um, BCIC is responsible for bringing meetings into people. Excuse me, into people. That's not a thing. Bringing meetings into places where people like us can, can't get out to an AA meeting, such as jails, detoxes, rehabs. They meet every monthly at the 12-step house. Uh, I do know Peter's here. Um, beautiful. Um, the Wednesday night study group is awesome. It's over in Pompano. Uh, Joe will be there. It's 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 really terrific. Uh, we also have like a bunch of volunteer things. They have, we have flyers. Um, so feel free to pick one of those up on your way out. Paulette, super exciting. She's from Melbourne. Huh? Anyway, she's. What? Mira, crap, I'm sorry. Miramar. Not, whatever. She's, she's lovely. She's coming in January, so we're very excited to have her. Um, my, Monday night, uh, up third floor of this building. It's an awesome meeting. We go through the book page by page, just like Joe and Charlie. Um, really terrific. It's been a foundation of my recovery for quite some time. Love to see you all there. Forget about, yeah, we'll forget about it. All right, beautiful. Um, please join us Monday night. Um, thank you again, Joe. I'm excited for the next session. We, um, in case you guys didn't know, we do have CDs, mugs, large room, big books, little red books, and big book dictionaries beautifully displayed in the back. You want to procure so many of these fine goods, please see one of the home group members. Uh, we do meet every Thursday. 
probably starting at 7.15. Come early for some fellowship at 6.30. We ask to be ready and courteous to begin at the sound of the bells. Thank you all. See you next week. Thank you, Joey. Um, we do have tonight's all of tonight's sessions um, and all the past speakers' podcasts online for free at alcoholicsandgod.org. Um, I'd like everyone. I'd like to invite everyone to our Monday night Big Book study. Uh, and for those who wish to thank tonight's speaker, you can line up in the center aisle and thank Joe for uh, tonight. We're going to close with the Lord's prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you all. See you guys on Monday and next Thursday. Thirsty bodies aching. I am desperately in need of restoration. Yeah, and I am ready for you to take me higher. Yeah, the only thing that I can do.
Just a light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Just a light of mine. 
Here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. Turn each way, flowers 
blooming all the time and outside my door Never before I had to change everything to realize That today is the best day of my life Cause this broken man I traveled far and wide Through the great divide Through his own heart, yeah Just about to start. So I face each day in a brand new way. Show up and plug in my guitar. And I play my songs. And people sing along. And stomp their feet and raise their arms. And here in this moment that we share. song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye. I think you know this one, don't you?
Just won't set me free. Well, clap your hands. 